as I do every year, I, I ask the Lord early on, what do you want us to study? And I started asking him that in March and really praying and, and saying, Lord, you know, camp, I want to I want to get done camp early this year. And, and I had a goal that by like, you know, middle of June, I'd be completely prepared. Didn't work out that way. Um, it was only uh, as I studied and, and thought and prayed throughout the months, it was only a couple weeks ago um, that the Lord put this study on my heart. Uh, so I want you to take your Bible and turn to Psalm 34 and get used to being there because over the span of the next four mornings, we're just going to study two verses. And I pray that what we learn uh, will really give us a, a renewed passion for the Lord and a fresh trust in the Lord and that we will value more time with him. Um, I, I will admit to you that as I thought about only doing two verses, um, I didn't have enough faith. And I said, Lord, is there enough meat there for four days because it's two verses? And as is always the case when we study the word of God, uh, there was plenty. In fact, we could study a lot longer uh, just on these two verses. I want to encourage you to take some notes, um, not again because what I'm saying is important, but hopefully the Holy Spirit's going to be speaking this morning and each day, and I want you to hear what he's saying, um, and I want you to interact. Anytime you interact with scripture, you learn more. Uh, I've given you those stats before, and I'll give them to you again. When you just listen, you retain 10%. When you listen and write it down, you retain 40%. When you listen, write it down, and apply it, you regain 80%. So you can see the value of not just sitting. Um, and the reason I always say take notes on Sunday morning is because it's for our retention. Um, when we write it down, we tend to remember it better. So I want to encourage you to do that. But, but I want to establish three goals for the week while Annie's getting um, the, the notebooks. Number one is that we all ask the Holy Spirit each day that he really teach us. And that our hearts are open to him. Not just, well, Paul's talking, I undo 30, 35 minutes each morning. I want us really to be saying, Lord, speak to me this week. Teach me. Even if it's not in the session, and especially when it's not in the session. When you're just out and about, when you're looking at creation, when you're riding down the Mississippi on a kayak, splashing each other, seeing bald eagles. When you're just spending time with your kids, when you're studying your Bible. Whatever the case may be, that God would really speak to it and that we'd apply it to our lives, we'd apply it to our marriages, we'd apply it to our families. So that's goal one. Number two is take good notes. So when we spend time in the Word and we spend time thinking about the week, we can go back to what we wrote and interact with that. And then goal three is that by Friday, I want everybody to know these two verses by heart. Okay, so Psalm 34, look at it. We're going to read the verses, verses 8 and 9. Uh, let me read them first, and then we're going to say them together, okay? I'm reading uh, out of the New American Standard Bible, but if you have a different Bible, when we say them together, just say it how it's written yours, okay? Ready? Verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for to those who fear him, there is no want. Okay, let's say it together. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for to those who fear him, there is no want. Thanks, Muff. All right, so these verses um, have meant a lot to me for about 33 years. And the reason for that um, is that my sophomore year in college, 
they were the theme verse for our fall studies. And I'll never forget it. I can still picture the banner in the chapel at Wheaton College um, that said, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And the other side, how blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Of all the messages I heard at Wheaton, all the studies I heard at Wheaton, those were, that, that was the theme that has stuck with me for 33 years. And I've gone back to these verses many times when I was in difficulty or crisis or needed reassurance that God loved me or that God was going to be providing for me. I've come back to these verses um, because they are just wonderful verses. And by Friday morning, I want us all to be able to memorize those so we can say them. I can walk up to you and say, what are the verses for this week? And you say, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. I want it to be that ingrained on our hearts because these verses will change your life. Now, every one of us has a, a different life story. And we're shaped by where we were born, what our family was like. Um, was it healthy or dysfunctional? Uh, how did we grow up? What was the discipline like in our house? What were the spiritual influences around us? Um, what were our friends like? What were they doing? Did we go to church? What kind of church was it? Uh, did the church study the Bible? Uh, what activities we do? What sports did we play? Everything else that makes us who we are. And I was thinking about this the other day. Jacob and I were, were driving through Kenosha running some errands and we were having one of those um how did we get here moments you ever have those we're like we're, we're just driving through the section because we're like how in the world did we get here like how is this how is this our place where god has put us it wasn't necessarily negative it was just kind of a what led to this and the hard part i think as as it hit me as i was driving with him of being a kid is you don't get to control where you live you, you are where your parents are, and you're in the setting that your parents are in, and you, you have the family structure and the, the family dynamic and all that, that that you were given. You can't change your genetics. You can't really change much of anything until you get to college. And even as an adult, we know, right, there are only so many things you can control. You can't just decide where you want to live a lot of the times. There are a lot of factors in this, where your family is, where your job is, uh, what part of the country you like to live in. So there are a lot of different things that, that come into that, um, that that determine the course of your life and the course of your experiences. Of course, we're not even talking about the Lord's influence at this point. So all of us have, have some uh, thing that, that just kind of describes who we are and where we live. And that's why I think it's fun to come on vacation because you go to a different setting and you're hanging out with different people and you're doing different things and you're eating different food. And, and what you see when you wake up in the morning, you know, it's kind of that first night I woke up in the middle of the night and I'm like, where in the world am I? And why is there a roof over my head? Cause I was on bottom bunk and I don't usually have, you know, wood right here when I sleep, I'm, I've got open room and a vaulted ceiling. So I woke up and I'm kind of like, Quick, think, where are you? Oh, yeah, you're in Iowa. Okay, good. All right, now that I'm settled. But, but when you go on vacation where you get away, you kind of experience different things. And it's like, ha, ah, no longer the mundane. No longer what I have to do every single day. One of the things Julie and I laugh about is she lives, we don't have to make meals here. It's like the meals are provided. Isn't that so wonderful? It's just different. And I think when you get that different perspective, you start to... Um, just appreciate things a little bit more. Let me give an example. Julie and I were in Florida last year for our anniversary, and she decided 
um, that it would be a good idea for me to go parasailing. Now, I'm not a big fan of heights, and I think that's a pretty drastic understatement. I don't like heights. I don't like standing on the edge of a cliff and looking over uh, when we were on the Empire State Building about six or seven years ago, the kids are all against the fence. I look, Dad, and I'm like, and I'm back against the wall, kind of like, that's New York's beautiful, but I'm good back here. I don't like heights. So we're sitting at lunch one day, and we're overlooking the ocean, this little restaurant we've been to before, and, and she goes, let's go parasailing. And I'm like, you can go parasailing. I will sit in the boat. It'll be great. Honey, I'm fine. You just go parasailing. She's like, no, I can't do it without you. Thanks. So this was such a, a great thing because it was made a lot better by the fact that we were strapped to a flimsy parachute connected to a boat about 200 yards below us. And as we got up there, and of course I'm, you know, praying, and, and I look over and about where, where uh, Brittany is, I look at the rope and it's completely frayed. Now, my wife will back you up. This, this, this thing was like, you know, starting to fall apart. And I'm like, well, this is going to be fun because the rope's going to snap and we're just going to go up into the nether and, and never come down. We'll just be floating all around. So, so we're on this boat. We're, we're about, I don't know, five, six hundred feet above the ocean that definitely has sharks in it. There's no question that there are sharks in this ocean. Now, now that is something I never would have done myself. In fact, even my wife almost didn't convince me, but the fact that she's cute and really convincing, and it was my anniversary, and I couldn't really say no, because she's like, let's have this great anniversary experience, we'll go parasailing, it'll be so wonderful, look how beautiful it is, it'll be great. And I'm like, if it wasn't our anniversary, so help me. I would not be floating on a parachute above shark-infested waters. But I will tell you that once we got up there, and it's a weird experience, Has anybody ever been parasailing before? Yeah, don't. Okay. Now I'm just kidding. You sit on the boat and you're strapped in. Thank the Lord for Velcro. You're strapped in and, and the boat takes off and you slowly go from sitting position and you just kind of rise above the boat, which is fine when you're 20 feet away from the boat and could still unharness and jump. But when you get like five, 600 feet up, you can't even hear the boat. And what was so cool is when we got up there, it was completely quiet. And we looked down, and the ocean was gorgeous. I mean, you could probably see 50 miles in each direction. And the, the Tampa-St. Pete coast was right here. And the sky was gorgeous. The clouds are gorgeous. And the water's just sparkling with the sunshine. And we're just sitting up there talking, and it's completely quiet. And we thought, this is so cool. But when I'm sitting at lunch, looking out at the ocean, watching people that have lost their mind go up on a parachute above a boat, I'm thinking, no way. That's not going to be a fun experience, and yet it absolutely was. And I'm so glad now that we did it, but I wouldn't have done it without her. Somebody needed to encourage me. Somebody needed to be bold and say, this will be a great experience. You need to try this because I was hesitant. Now, so I am not alone in experiencing new things like parasailing over water, churning with bloodthirsty sharks. I want to try an experiment this morning, okay? And I'm going to need some volunteers for this. I have some food I want you to try out, okay? And we're going to do this in two parts. The first part is I'm going to need some of you to come up, and I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, and I'm going to feed you something. And I want you to not react, 
and I want you to not tell anybody what I'm feeding you because the first group of three is going to come up and try it. And then after the first group of three comes up and try it, I'm going to ask two people to come up and try it. And then after they try it, I'm going to ask two more people to come up and try it. Okay. Second part is, uh, well, I'll give you the second part when we get to it. Okay. So I need three volunteers that will come up and try this lovely food that I've prepared for you that I'm not going to tell you what it is. Oh, well, I'm going to tell you what it was for those who didn't try it. Every one of them tried a piece of cheesecake. Every one of them tried a piece. Did you guys like it in the long run? Okay, it's pretty good, right? I've got more if you guys want it afterwards. Now, the cheesecake was yummy. I know, because when I put it in the cups, I had a spoonful myself. And that was, <laughs> it was really good. So, huh? Same spoon. Same spoon. Yeah, I used the same spoon for all of you. It was, it was wonderful. All right, so that's experiment one. I'll explain why we did that. Now we've got experiment two. Experiment two is going to be a little bit different because I'm going to actually tell you. Oh, no, let me, let me not go to experiment two. Let me, let me talk about that first. Wait, was it just cheesecake? It was just cheesecake. Why did you have that look on your face? You that's what we're going to talk about. That's what we're going to talk about. Why did you guys react the way you did? You told us to. Because I told you to, right? So, when the second two people came up, who was it, Annie and David, were you guys at all hesitant? Yeah, a little bit. A little bit? Yeah. yeah. Like, why are they well, making stuff? That's why they take a whole bite. That's why we're still half it's still on the spoon up here. So <laughs> David can come lick that up later. All right? So how did, the, how did the reaction to the first three people in any way influence you? It had some impact, right? Yeah. You were a little bit like, I don't know, maybe a little bit shaky. Well, then how about David and Sierra? When you saw the reactions, what were you thinking? Um, I didn't want to do it. You didn't want to do it, right? Because you're like, now what's going on? Because I saw the second two people. Why did you guys, it was interesting, you guys both kind of made a sour face when you first ate it. What was that all about? I was like, mm, and I was like, oh yeah, I'm not supposed to react. Because then I was like, ugh. <laughs> Which is a reaction in itself, but that's okay. Yeah. So... You are basing your opinion of whether you want to do something based on the reaction of the other person. And in some way, it did influence you that maybe I don't want to do that. Because when you come back and call, you, you point to your son. You're like, come on. He's like, yeah, no. And then Sierra's trying to like, ah, what's going on? Is there something happening this morning? Oh, yeah. Oh, no, me? No, I'm good. Thank you. I'm, I'm half. I'm half. If I had said to you, I want seven of you to come up and try cheesecake, you'd be like, yep. Do you have any cherries for it? Like, that's, I'm ready for that. That was the one thing I looked forward to most this morning besides the bacon was getting to try the cheesecake as I scooped it into the cups because it's a yummy thing. So second reaction now, second thing we're going to do, and this one's not quite as fun, but I want you to remind you, I want parasailing above shark infested waters. Okay. So here's what we're going to do. This time I'm going to tell you exactly what you're going to taste after you volunteer. Okay? So I'm going to ask for volunteers to come up, and then we're going to try something, and I'm going to show you exactly what you're going to try. Now, I would say you need some courage to do this, except I've done extensive research on this, and people that know food say these combinations are tasty. Personally, I'm not so convinced, but they're telling you that these combinations are tasty. So I'm going to need some volunteers to come up. Now, that was pretty gutsy of them. Let me ask you guys that came up. How? I couldn't. It got real citrusy. 
how willing were you to trust me that I wasn't going to feed you something like, you know, locusts and honey? Were you surprised that some of those things actually tasted good? Like, Lexi, you had strawberries and Parmesan. Would that be something you'd normally make at home? No. but Aftertaste was horrible. Well, good. All right. That's what we were going for. We were going for horrible. Interestingly, and again, this is just research from what people that, that love food tell me, is that these are great combinations. Now, these are the same people who eat foie gras. So, you know, you got to only take that so far. But it's interesting that you can't really know what something's like until you try it. I didn't know what parasailing was like. I just know that I hate heights. And I know that I hate sharks. And I know that I didn't really want to be suspended 600 feet above the water with a frayed rope and a flimsy parachute. But my wife was there and I trust the Lord. So I figured this will either end up good or I'll be in heaven in a couple minutes. But I didn't know until I tried it what that was like. Honestly, I thought that when we got up in the air that it was going to be really windy and it would be loud. And instead it was so, we, we both remarked about it. It was so surprising that it was absolutely completely quiet. You cannot really know what something's like until you experience it. And that leads us to our spiritual principle this morning in Psalm chapter 34 and verse 8. And this has a really valuable application for our lives because the verse tells us to taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Now that's a great concept. And I think we'd all agree that that's something we should do in our lives. But this is not just a nice thought that David says, you know what, you should try strawberries and Parmesan. You should try chocolate and ketchup because it'll, it might be okay. And, and, you know, it's always good to try a couple things once. And, and let's just kind of see how this goes. This is actually a deeply foundational aspect of walking by faith. What David's telling us, what the Holy Spirit's telling us here is that this is something that has to be done to be walking by faith. You have to taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, the first group had to come up and they couldn't see what I was going to feed them. And they had to trust me that I was going to do right by them. I asked them to react negatively because I wanted the second group now to be a little bit confused. They also had to trust me and they also had to trust these three that they weren't punking them and that this was really going to be okay and they weren't going to gag. And then the third group sees the reaction of the second group, which wasn't quite as negative, and they're confused because they don't know what to believe now. So they've got to trust me again that, that it's going to be okay. And then you had a couple people that came up and knew what they were going to eat before they ate it, and they had some education on it, but they still had to have faith that this wasn't going to be completely awful, except for Tony's chocolate pudding, which he'll make later. <laughs> At some point, all 13 of those people had to trust me. They had to trust that I was going to not do something that was awful and life-changing because it was so drastically gross. So each of them, in some way, made a faith decision. And they made a faith decision, in a large part, based on the evidence that they saw. Now let's dig into this from a spiritual standpoint. God has made us. God has a plan for each of us. He shows grace to us. He offers us salvation. He redeems us. He forgives us. He cleanses us. He transforms us. He fills us with his Holy Spirit. He gives us his word, prayer, and his spirit. 
He gives us the body and he assures us, you are mine, I adopted you, I bought you with the price of my son's blood, and you are secure in heaven forever. And yet, on some level, we struggle to absolutely fully trust him. Think about the list that I just gave you. All the things God has done for us, and that's just a microcosm, that's just a small portion of what God's done for us. And each of those things is so exponentially, drastically wonderful. God forgives us. We just say it, well, God forgives us. Do you know what it took for God to forgive me? It took Christ on the cross. That's what it took for God to forgive me. There had to be a price that was paid. So just saying God forgives us is, is, is mountains of evidence of how great God's grace is. And yet when it comes to trusting him, we all are like, yeah, I want to. But especially when there's a degree of uncertainty, we still struggle a little bit. And sometimes we'll even go and get the counsel of another person. Or sometimes we'll go and, and trust the assurances that it'll be all right, you'll be fine, and, and it's going to work out. We trust those assurances where people have zero control, and they're just trying to be nice, more than we trust the promise of the Word of God. But the purpose of this, sport, uh, this study this morning is not to create guilt over that or to make us feel bad. Well, I've got to trust, the God, trust God more. The, the purpose of this morning is to call us to a bold faith. A bold faith that is willing to taste everything the Lord puts in front of us and to trust him that he will never lead us in the wrong way. I, you trusted me to come up and try those foods, but what do I know? I'm just a man. I read chocolate and avocado goes together. My friend goes, no, it doesn't. It's nasty. It smells horrible. And I wish I had never done that. I'm going to punch you in the face later. That, that's what Tony's thinking right now. So he trusted me, but maybe I'm not trustworthy. Does anybody know that God is absolutely trustworthy? Right. That's right. That we never have to doubt. I wonder if God's going to do the right thing. I wonder if God knows what he's doing. I wonder if God knows the best timing right now. I wonder if God's will is, is okay for me. We never have to doubt that. So let me give you the main, oh, I got to hurry. Let me give you the main spiritual principle for the morning, and then we're going to develop it uh, just looking at one account in the Bible. The main spiritual principle I want to give you this morning is that there is a courage and a boldness to faith. There's a courage and a boldness to faith that is willing to trust the Lord even when you aren't guaranteed a certain result. There is a boldness and a courage to faith that is willing to trust the Lord even when you are not guaranteed of a certain result. And to me, the goal of the Christian walk in terms of walking by faith is to become more bold and more courageous in our faith with every passing day. And the Bible tells us time and time again that the more we trust the Lord, the more he is willing to bless us in awesome ways and the more he's willing to give us awesome opportunities to experience his power but we have to learn this and we have to learn to be confident to have that kind of faith that god always knows what is best for me now we had the peanut butter and ham sandwich right i learned to make peanut butter and ham sandwiches because we used to drive from pennsylvania to florida every year to see my grandparents and we were in a paneled station wagon anybody remember paneled station wagons with the back seat that faced the traffic that was going to smush you if you stopped short right 
So I used to sit in the back, and this was before the days of Chick-fil-A, everybody, moment of silence. It's before the days of Chick-fil-A, this was before the days of Chipotle and Panda Express and, and everything else. Basically, you had McDonald's and Burger King and Arby's, but, but they were very rare. You didn't have the exits along the highway like you have now. So we used to drive Pennsylvania to Florida to see my grandparents, and because um, there weren't a lot of options and because my parents didn't want to stop and spend money, we would have a cooler. And in the cooler, we would have lunch meat and we would have bread and we would have peanut butter and jelly and then there'd maybe be some chips or some fruit and some you know drinks or whatever. And we would travel down the highway going 65, staring at the trucks behind us and we would make sandwiches. Now, I don't have a great love for sandwiches anyway, but I got very bored, you know me and my impatience. So. After a while, making ham and turkey, and sometimes there'd be a meatloaf sandwich. Mm -mm -mm, nothing I love more than a good meatloaf sandwich. Tasty, especially when you pour the ketchup in top and it soaks into the white bread. Mm, that's so yummy. Didn't really like tuna fish. So you got ham, you got turkey, you got peanut butter and jelly, and you got meatloaf or tuna fish. Okay, I know we're all disgusted now. At least I didn't make you try tuna fish or meatloaf this morning. Or maybe tuna fish meatloaf. That might be a good one to try at home. So after a while, I'm like, all right, I'm pretty bored with ham sandwich. I'm pretty bored with turkey sandwich. So I decided to experiment. And one day, as I was driving through Georgia or wherever, I decided, what would it be like if you put peanut butter and ham together? Now you say, that's disgusting. There's no way I'm trying it. But trust me, Miranda, verify. It's okay, right? It's very good. Yes, it's very good. I like very good. If you put it on a nice piece of seven grain bread and you got some chunky jiff peanut butter and some really salty ham, mm, 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 make me happy. Because there's something about the reaction of it, I guess because they're both salty, that just, my, my wife's grossing out right now. There's something about it that's just really good. And if you don't believe me, come up and try it. Now, I used to love peanut butter and ham because that was my combination and I thought it tasted good. I still do, I still eat them once in a while. So that was something that I tasted and saw, but believe me, it's an acquired taste, right? It's an acquired taste, you don't like it, right? She, she's like, I've never tried peanut butter and ham again. Because you've gotta to learn to like some things. Paul says in Philippians four, I've learned to be content. Not just God magically makes me content and I'm content all the time and I never have any problems and I'm good. We'll talk about that later in the week. But I've learned to be content. In other words, walking by faith many times means developing an acquired taste for whatever the Lord brings to us. I've lost jobs before. We've gone through a miscarriage before. I've had uh, times of heartache. I've watched my parents struggle. I've watched Julie's parents struggle. We've had difficulty in our life, and you guys have too. We've also had times of great joy. Now, the times of difficulty, we had to acquire a taste for faith because if we didn't trust the Lord during those times, we were going to crash and burn. So there are times when you're in your life where, where things are difficult and you really do have to learn that the one who loves me, the one who sent his son to die for me, the one who has declared me his own, the one who gives me his spirit, the one who, who has more love for me than anybody ever will, you know what? I can trust him. I may not be able to trust anything else. I can't trust my government. I can't trust my job. I can't trust my finances. I can't trust my neighbor, whatever. But you know what? At the end of the day, I can trust the Lord. 
And let me give you one more text, and then we're going to pray. Go over to 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. Let me just find everywhere. Oh, yeah, if you want a notebook, you can go grab one real quick. Sorry. In the first seven verses of this text, just get up, you don't, just get up whenever you want to, guys. In the first seven verses of this text, Elijah has to trust the Lord in a very unique way. Because there's a drought in the land. And God is disciplining Israel for their sin. And their sin was abundant and it was repetitive. So he hopes to wake them up. So he sends a drought. Ahab's the king. Ahab was the most evil king Israel ever had. His wife was Jezebel. Jezebel was probably more evil than Ahab was. So God sends a drought, and he says to Elijah, tell Ahab it's not going to rain for three and a half years. And Elijah does that, and then he goes out into the wilderness. And God puts him by a brook, and he says, I'm going to feed you every day. And every day the ravens come along, and they bring him food, and Elijah drinks of the brook until it dries up because of the drought. And then God says, all right, you're moving on. Leave where you are and go to a town called Zarephath. Now, Elijah is struggling at this point because of the sin of other people. And there are going to be times in our life and in our experience where, where we're trusting the Lord, but we're struggling because other people are not walking with the Lord. And in those times, I want to encourage you, don't get bitter, don't get resentful against the Lord, don't say, well, this isn't fair because they're sinning and I'm not, I'm walking by faith, and, and, and that's not right. Elijah uses this experience, and God uses it in his life to prepare him to minister to other people. The Lord never wastes anything in your experience. I've said this before, and I want you to hear it again. What you're going through, what you've been through, allows you to be able to minister to other people. If you have had cancer, God is going to put people in your life who are going to have cancer so you can say, wait a second, I know about that. I can talk about that. Not to tell you my story, but to encourage you. God will be faithful to you. And here's what I discovered. If you've gone through a divorce in your family, God will bring people that are going through that. So you can say, hey, I've been through that. I know, boy, I know what that feels like. I'm so sorry. But let me tell you, trust the Lord. Anything that God puts in your experience that's kind of unique, get ready. Because there are going to be more people in your life that he's going to bring to you that are going through the same thing. I can't speak to somebody that's had cancer because I've never had cancer, thank the Lord. But people that have had cancer know how to minister to that. So God teaches Elijah and he sends him to Zarephath. And I want you to read verse 8 and see what happens. Then the word of the Lord came saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Behold, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a woman was there gathering sticks. And he called her and said, Please get me a little water in a jar that I may drink. She was going to get it. He called to her and said, Please bring a piece of bread in your hand. She said, As the Lord your God lives, I have no bread, only a handful of flour in the bowl and a little oil in the jar. And behold, I'm gathering a few sticks that I may go in and prepare it for me and my son that we may eat it and die. Then Elijah said to her, Okay, here's the faith moment. Do not fear. Go do as I've said, but make me a little bread cake from it first and bring it out to me and afterward you may make one for yourself and for your son. 
For thus says the Lord God of Israel, anytime God challenges your faith, he always gives you his word. The bowl of flour will not be exhausted and the jar of oil will not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. So the woman arose, uh, I'm sorry, I went one page too far. So the woman did according to the word of Elijah and she and her household ate for many days. The bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through Elijah. Now let's quickly deal with what's happening here. Elijah shows up and he basically demands, give me water and give me bread. There's been a drought for three years. There is no water. There's been an absence of supplies because without water, you can't grow wheat. Without wheat, you can't make flour. And without flour, you can't make bread. So the trees have died up. There's no oil. There's no olive oil because the olive trees have died because they haven't had water for three years. So there's no flour. There's no oil. She's been conserving for her son. So now she gets to the place where she doesn't have anything. All the physical and circumstantial evidence points to the fact that she has nothing left. She's going to go home, make a fire, use up the last of her supplies, bake bread, eat it and wait to die. There are no private resources. There's no pick and save down the road. There's no solution. I'm sure she stayed up every night trying to think, what's the solution is? How can I make this better? Sometimes the Lord allows us to go through those times of situations and circumstances because he wants us to learn what it really means to depend on him. Now we can either be stubborn and, and refuse to do that and, and try to learn through the normal channels, even though that's not going to happen. Or God will take us to a higher level of faith if we're willing, and he will teach us about his supply. And I want to tell you, I'm standing before you now, I have seen that truth so many times in my life where I thought my faith was so strong and Lord, I'm walking with you. And then God says, let's take you to the next level. And I'm like, what? No, I'm good. I'm, I'm at level 41. God, I'm so happy. Things are so good at level 41. God says, I don't want you to stay at level 41. I want you to go to level 51. But to get to level 51, there's a lot of things you have to go through to get to that level. And you don't see the perspective at the time, and I certainly haven't at the time. But the more we mature in the Lord, the more quick we are to say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, I want to go to level 51. I want to go to level 71. So, Lord, continue to refine me, continue to shape me. And then if that means I have to go through a trial for the perfecting of my faith, then, Lord, bring that on to me. Now, we don't know what this woman's spiritual state was, but Elijah comes up to her and he says, here's the decision. Here's the moment of truth. You don't have flour and you don't have oil, but I'm telling you, feed me first. And you go, Elijah's a jerk. No, Elijah wasn't a jerk. The Lord was using him to test her faith. And then God gave him his word. <coughs> At this point, she has to decide whether she's going to trust the word of the Lord. And it doesn't just involve her, it involves her son. So let's finish. What would you have done? That's easy to look at it 4,000 years later and say, well, I would have trusted God. It's Elijah. I mean, come on. She's never met Elijah before. She probably knows that he's a prophet the way she addresses him. 
but but this is a life or death decision. This is not just, hey, will you try olive oil ice cream? This is a life or death decision. And you can say, well, what has she got to lose? She's going to die anyway. But would you want to surrender as a parent even one day of your child's life to appease some stranger that's asking you for the only food that you have? Would, would you give up a day? Matthew, somebody comes up, Matthew's going to die today, but, but you have food for one day. Well, give me the food. <laughs> yeah, right. You're not getting the food. She has to make a decision of faith. And this is where our faith gets tested. And this is where we have to decide whether we're going to taste and see that the Lord is good simply because he says, I'm good. Simply because he says, I am faithful to keep my promises. I will never fail you or forsake you. The righteous will never be begging bread. So we have to decide which is more reliable. My feelings and my perception and my fears and my circumstances, which are going to change. Are we going to think that that's more reliable? Or are we going to rely more on the one who loves us and saves us? Because that's the decision. Do you trust the Lord? Or do you trust everything else? We have the promises of God. We have the presence of his Holy Spirit that assures us that the bowls of flour and the jars of oil in our life, listen now, they will not be exhausted if we trust in him. The bowls of flour and the jars of oil in your life will not be exhausted if you trust in him. If you go off on your own, all bets are off. God gives no guarantees he gives no promises. He gives no assurances that if you don't trust me and you do it yourself, that, that I'll take care. He gives no promise of that. But he says, if you will trust me, if you'll be willing to taste and see that I am good, no matter what the circumstance, no matter what the situation, no matter what the trial or what the joy, I will take care of you. And let me just give you an added bonus. I have plans too wonderful for you to imagine. I have things too wonderful for you to understand if you'll trust me. That's our study for this morning. Tomorrow we're going to take the second half of verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Let's pray.